Hong Kong Confidential, a podcast with Jules Hannaford, is designed to educate and entertain my audience. It's an interview-style show where many topical social issues are discussed and personal stories are shared. The podcast can be inspiring, confronting, harrowing and at times hilarious. All of the stories have uplifting messages. We all need to be heard to heal and listening to the experiences of others can often help the rest of us deal with whatever life has to throw at us. Find Hong Kong Confidential on Ozcast Network at www.ozcastnetwork.com. Hong Kong Confidential is also available on Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher and YouTube and anywhere that you can find your podcasts. Check out Hong Kong Confidential today. I'm going to apologise in advance. I've been uh, editing loads and loads of audio for Kane and Fields, which right. I'm doing the voice on. Yeah. And I've realised that my timbre, my kind of regular voice, is like somewhere in the 200, 400 hertz range. Right. Which is usually the area where you just get the most bass. Right. And so it just ends up being a nightmare to kind of get it to work so it sounds like a human voice. Because most voices are like 1,000 hertz. Right, right. I mean, <laughs> I, I, I'm not. I'm not necessarily going to uh, disagree with what you're saying. I don't really understand that <laughs> stuff, though, which is a weird thing as a as someone who makes a kind of semi living, if we can call it that, <laughs> from audio. Like, I don't really know anything about hertz. Mm. I mean, I, I've seen. I see them. They like it says. <laughs> it says hertz on my screen when I'm editing, but I don't really know what it means. The main problem <laughs> with podcasts, I guess, is just it's if you're on a train, then that's it. Like my voice becomes almost inaudible. Like it just blends into like boom, boom, boom. boom. Right. As it kind of goes along. Hello, I'm Dave. I'm the guy that's putting all this stuff together. I need to get better. Please make me better. I want to get better. Better. Better acquainted with you. Today we're getting better acquainted with Oliver. Hello, Oliver. Hello. How are you? <laughs> I'm good. I'm good. And it's funny, isn't it? Like you, it, the natural reaction, and, and most of my guests say this is like, "How are you?" And it's like, well, we've kind of already done the we hello, have done how that, are yeah. you uh, bit of the day, but now we're doing it officially. Mm. Um, kind of, uh, I guess it kind of breaks the uh, breaks the the magic of uh, podcasting for me to always <laughs> make a thing of this at the beginning of each episode. But uh, I, I do just. Find Find the kind of unreality, the unnaturalness of mm. like reintroducing ourselves to each other, kind of endlessly weird. Doesn't it is, I, it I is mean, endlessly weird. You know, I mean, this is, I don't know, I, I'm, quite, I don't, I'm not sure what number it'll be. It'll be within the 300s, though. Mm. And I'm still finding that odd and weird um, and something to comment on. Maybe I'll, I'll be used to it by like, <laughs> you know, 600 and I'll be just like straight into the, to the meat of the, the yeah. conversation. I mean, I, I think it's I think it's a fair thing to say how you just just because the the situation has changed. Like you know, when you're introducing me into the house and you're going hi and you're making a cup of tea and we're just sort of right. chatting about London and stuff. That's one thing, but then you know there is a microphone in front of me and you've got a pair right. of headphones on. This is you know there's cups of tea, but this is yeah. in all it's staged in a way, so it's nice it's to kind staged, of. Yeah reintroduce the conversation as it were yeah right and we'll also i mean it's they're different questions because we're in different positions within mm. the world like in answer to your question like how are you when you came to the door first of all i answered in ways that i'm not going to do uh, on yeah. mic but second of all you know in that situation it's like how much detail am i going to give to somebody mm. whereas in this situation it's more like 
it's a public we're we're public facing but at the same time we're we're allowed to go into as much detail as we like because that's what makes a kind of that's what fills an hour mm, <laughs> we've got to fill an hour of course right 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 how could i forget i mean really i could just make a podcast where i ask people how are you um, and that'd be the entire hour and then just discuss the sort of meta-narrative yeah of, what does that mean conversation like exactly. yeah I mean, and also, well, well what, 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 how are people doing? I mean, that, I, I hate that question in some ways. You know, if I'm really depressed or whatever, and somebody says, how are you? I don't like that question because I, I don't want to lie to them mm. and say I'm happy because that seems dishonest, because mm. it is. But at the same time, I don't want to bring down their day. I don't, <laughs> and also, I don't necessarily have the time to go into, you know, how I actually am. It's such a strange question. Um, <laughs> but it's one that we all do. Yeah. Uh, like, so I'm not, I'm not certainly not judging anyone for it. No, in fact, I do it. Like, my dad gets very annoyed because uh, every time I go to see him, you know, he's 93. Um, and I have, to, you know, I say, how are you? Mm. Um, and I actually want to know. Like, it's a different thing from, yes. like, you know, just generally in public. I, I genuinely want to check in with him and see how his kind of mental and physical health is doing. But, for, for, but it's still, it's, it's an impossible question, he finds. I mean, now he's got dementia, I guess it literally is an impossible question. Mm. Um, but before that, it still was something that he was like, what does it mean? How do, <laughs> well, you know, I guess for some of us, and I maybe have inherited this from my dad, mm. it's, it's kind of a question that, that makes us kind of plunge straight into existential crisis. Yes. And for some people, it's just a kind of reflective uh, thing that you, how are you? I'm fine. Move on. And, and both those ways yep. are fine. <laughs> uh, <laughs> anyway, this, the, the question that I do ask to everybody is not how are you, but it is um, how do you know me? How do I know you? I know you from the podcast support group, I think, initially. <laughs> we met in Camden uh, at uh, Kobe's place of work. That's right. Uh, that was fun. That was a really weird day for me, I think, because I that was just the first time that I'd ever met, like, other podcasters. Right. Because before then, I'd been sort of working in radio and, and that sort of stuff, and I'd kind of met up with people like um, Camilla Bick from Podium, and I'd worked in radio and stuff, but it had been... I had never actually met, like, a... A, a sort of more than one in one situation right. podcaster, basically. Right. So it's very, very weird to kind of just find, oh, there's there's like 30 other people with the same kind of neurosis as I have. Right. This is wonderful. It is a delight to meet other podcasters, I think. Mm. I mean, because it's a solitary pursuit. Yeah. Whether you're naturally a solitary person or not, you're having to be solitary in order to be a podcaster. Mm. Like sitting in front of a, of a computer editing sound files makes you quite strange uh, oh, over time. Yes. Your mind kind of... It, I remember because that, that time we met at that podcast support group, mm. I had been editing all day. Mm. And I, I remember being in a particularly weird frame of I remember mind. Because yeah. I'd been editing a really like emotionally complex content yeah. like on my own. And then I was stood in a room full of lots of people who understand the process of being uh, in alone in a room. Position, so it yeah. was, you know, really kind of... I, I mean, that's where like it's called the podcast support group, but it is actually a support group. Like, yeah. it, it does feel a little bit like, you know, my name is Dave and I'm a podcaster. It's a, it's a therapy session in some ways when you meet other podcasters. But also podcasters, I find... I mean, any generalisation isn't, mm. isn't true, but my experience of podcasters is that they're really nice. Yeah, they tend to be. <laughs> I think that I, I'm, I was going to just pick up because you, you kind of talked about podcasting as a solitary experience. My actual route into podcasting was the exact opposite. Right. Because I, uh, when I was like 17, I discovered GarageBand 
and uh, I just sort of I had a garage band and I had a MIDI keyboard and so I started like product audio production right by which I mean I just made a kind of album and chugged it somewhere right so for me audio had been a solitary experience but then when I went to university I discovered student radio and student radio was a place where I met all my friends I hung out with all my friends I I kind of forged these connections and actually my first podcast was a thing called Utility Belt which was a sort of spin-off of a student radio show. And actually that was a way of me keeping in touch with the sort of three mates that I'd made from uni kind of in that environment. So what was nice about going to the podcast support group is I had, you know, since that sort of that podcast ended and I was just sort of getting into this thing where I was just feeling more and more sort of isolated in terms of sort of audio. and, And what was nice about the podcast support group is, oh yeah, no, yeah, I remember this student radio, people making audio. They're they're just friendly people who just have that kind of wonderful British, especially in Britain. It's, it's that sort of wonderful eccentric sense of just like, they, they just drill all the way into the heart of a topic and they find out every single thing about it. And they're just willing to share their enthusiasm with anyone who will listen basically. Yeah. I mean, that's been my experience of podcasters and and you're right to say, that like as well because I mean I, I make a, a an audio drama mm. um, so, and that is a collective experience and there's lots of podcasts that are you know not just hosted by one person so there's a lot of like communal spirit in podcasting but ultimately editing is really hard to do as a group I don't yes. know if you've ever oh, tried yes. to do no. it as a group <laughs> I have tried to do it as a group many times in different ways and it is hard to mm. do you know you can do it you, you can you can do it collaboratively but like doing it at the same time as somebody else I also was in kind of student radio kind of Mm. stuff or like student drama stuff Mm. I set up a theatre company and then we had a a radio part of the theatre company so we did performances on stage and on the on the student radio and I was in um, a a radio comedy thing at uni as well and I guess we I guess that was maybe my first podcast, although we didn't think of it as a podcast, of putting the sketches on the internet afterwards. Yeah. They're, they're no longer there, which is great. They were terrible <laughs> in lots of ways, like unforgivable in some ways. So I'm very pleased mm. that that's gone. But it, that was my first experience, I guess, of that kind of thing. And it, it, it is that, that thing of like experimenting together. Like if you're on the radio, you've got to make it an hour or half an hour or 15 minutes or whatever. But when you, you go into podcasting, you don't have to do that. And so it becomes even more exciting as a kind of exploration but Mm. also I think more dangerous because there's no one to tell you no (laughs) there's no one to sort of say hang on you've taken that idea too far or whatever you know Mm. there's none of that you're just relying on the other members of your team to notice if something goes too far and it's actually quite hard to see that when you're in the moment with a group of people trying out ideas it was it's one of the one of the wonderful things I've had with I think most of the radio and audio that I've worked on is I've always had someone who's who's been like an editor of sorts like not a not not an editor to edit the actual audio. That's right. that's what, no. But like a director, I guess, or a dramaturge or something. No, I mean like call. literally just someone who will listen through the program yeah. and go like like an executive that's producer, good, like bad. someone who yeah. will just go like there is a bit here that just needs fixing. That like bits when you've been sitting and listening to this bit of audio for eight and a half hours, you're just like, oh yeah, that's where the right. thing goes, and you're like, no 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 no, you need to go back and you need to fix that and you need to sort of sort it out. And it's nice because most of the projects I've worked on have been able to have that sort of executive producer. But I don't think I would be as good an editor today or if I didn't have that kind of, you know, 
thing. And I did just call myself a good editor. So that's, that's all right. You're allowed to be. You're allowed to. You're allowed to kind of recognise your own talents and qualities. And I, I think that's that's perfectly fine to call yourself a good editor. I actually had this bizarre moment the other day. I've been working on this podcast, Kane and Fields Paranormal Investigators, with a, a mate of mine from my masters called Jude, because he he's such a wonderful sound designer that I've I've just said, look, you do it. You've just got such a wonderful ear for this. And my dad was talking to me the other day and was like, well, you know, I thought you were a good sound designer. I'm like, yes, I am. Yeah. Jude is better at it. Like this is... That's actually, I mean, that in itself is is a good example of of, of knowing your craft. Mm. Like I'm, I guess I'm the same. Like there's definitely things where I will call in someone better than me, but it doesn't mean that I'm saying I'm not good at doing that. Mm. It's just you work out who's best... To, to do what is needed, right? That's the, the mark of a good person making yeah. craft, like making something that they want to be good. I mean, and you're really right. Like that was a lot of the problem with that radio comedy show when I think back in kind of grimace about it. You know, regardless of content, which is a whole other conversation that we don't have to have, I've had on this on this show before, but in terms of the actual form of what we were making, mm. because we would be like staying up all night editing we made stuff that we thought was brilliant but 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 people couldn't even understand do you know what i mean like we would put effects on voices that because we'd heard the files so much we found hilarious you know i remember having this experience of like playing our christmas special to two of my my school friends right and them going like what's university done to this guy like like he's putting this thing there it doesn't make any sense but I mean, that was an important learning process in mm. a different way. But I do, I know what you mean. I appreciate those people in my life who have played that kind of role. My friend, Matt Hill, who I've done quite a lot of work with, mm. um, who's like, produces every every podcast in the UK, it sometimes feels <laughs> like. Like, he's, he was the first kind of example of that. Or maybe the second, because I had someone who I made music with, who was a good editor of my work mm. before that. But I've, I've come to appreciate those people. Whereas when I was younger, I banged against those people, mm. you know, they were the, the enemy and I had to like, you know, they're trying to censor me all the time. Whereas now I'm like, whoa, like if I, thank God I listened to those people, even though I, I resisted them. And now I mm. kind of welcome uh, people telling me cut that. Uh, <laughs> it is hard to get used to people saying something that you care so much about, you've invested so much of yourself into. Mm. When people criticise that, it feels very personal because it is. Mm. But you only get better work if you listen to those people. So, that, yeah, so I feel like it's interesting. I think we have had quite quite interesting kind of overlaps in our in our kind of experience of, of, of audio and radio and podcasts. Yeah. But there, there's probably a, maybe a generational difference. I don't know how old you are, but... My, my... I've never had to edit tape. I've never had to right, edit tape. So, right, that, right. That's so when I main... was making music as a teenager, it was on a four track with mm-hmm. tape. I never edited, edited that. When I was making music as a, a, a preteen, I was, I was using tape, I guess. <laughs> but like, I had a four track. Right, right, right. But, but it was about that, 10 years. Yeah, ago. like it was a while. <laughs> I, I remember it being horrifying. I remember never really figuring it out, but it's just a great bit of kit. Right. For, I've been, I've had a, recently, I've been kind of just digging through, because we've got like a garage just full of, this is very weird. I, my, my dad is a, a huge audio file and a huge sort of audio tech file. Did, but he did all his sort of buying of like drum machines, mixers, all this sort of stuff in like the year 2000, which is around the time that gorillas were sort of doing their thing. So what right. he has are sort of knockoff versions of the stuff like Damon Albarn would be using. Right. And I've I'm kind of big into the gorillas at the moment again. <laughs> I've been kind of pulling this old tech out the thing and I've just I've just really loved 
because you know when you're working in an audio workstation when you're working like audacity or audition or you know what logic or whatever it is you've just got everything there yeah you know you've got a delay pedal you've got this you've got this and this and this and, and just like you've got the whole universe at your fingertips but what's really nice if you if you sit down with like a, a drum machine by yamaha from 2001 with one MIDI input, no MIDI outputs, and you're just like, oh god, I need to, uh, I, how do I make music on this thing? Right. It's so fun just figuring out, and you just learn these sort of mechanics. I think that's what's missing, I think. I don't know if it's missing, but like one of the things that I've really enjoyed in my sort of recent work is coming back to these sort of old machines and seeing how they right. work, because when you have the world at your fingertips, you can do anything, but that's also kind of limiting, because you just go, oh god, there's so much to do, I'll just yeah. use the 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 presets or I'll just use this and yeah. it's actually really nice to be doing it on tape so if you were doing it on tape and you were adding effects how were you adding the effects I mean I, I like I say like I did like it was my friend's four track so mm. I don't really know <laughs> what he did like I I, I mean I and I think there's something about what you're saying as well about like, yeah, restrictions kind of breed good art quite yeah. often. And like DIY, like that's kind of where that was the roots of that. Like I re- mm. I didn't know exactly what was always happening with that four track. But one of the things I liked about it is, you know, you, you just got a cassette tape and taped over, you know, you could, you could tape, you could, we could make music on a, on a computer game cassette tape. We could make music <laughs> on, like whatever we had lying around. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, that was much more live stuff when I was a teenager, when we were making music. So I don't know if we put effects on so much as we just did more tracks with live weird things happening. Uh, when I, when I went to uni, when I was kind of making audio, then it went, I went digital. I was using, yeah. I was using cool edit pro. Cool edit pro. That morphed into Adobe audition as we yeah. know it today. Um, and that's when I first started like looking at effects and stuff. But even then, I think that's the thing when you're working with such basic tech or software, there were more restrictions to that kit than there are now mm. like I, I use reaper now and it's so good that I, I i can't even begin to learn how good it is <laughs> like because if i learn how good it is i don't know i like just being scrappy like working out how to yeah how to do stuff um with limited resources but also the limited resources can often be the thing that give you the ideas like you yeah. said it's like having re- those kind of restrictions i was talking about you know that podcasts don't have it's yeah. another way of having restrictions. Like I use this this uh, Zoom H two, which we were talking about before we started. I love recording. it. It's it's great. It's held together by a bit of a purple rubber band. It is at the moment, yeah. Because I've lost the have, back bit. Yeah, it couldn't have more personality if it tried. Because I don't, I, I don't want the, the the batteries to fall out in the middle because the way <laughs> that, that would the, be a problem. Well, yeah. Well, we would just lose everything. We'd have to start again. Yeah. It's it's uh, it's that basic. Um, and you know, some people like my my sound quality some people don't but mm. what i like about it is that it, it kind of it, it forces me to not think about the tech in a yeah. way it's just like what's happening in this moment um and and ca- it captures the room better like i could mm. get some great shotgun mics and stuff or whatever I, I mean i'm saying shotgun mics like i know really what that means i don't uh, i just have recently worked out that it might be useful for me in the future to get one at some point <laughs> if I can ever afford it but like I can yeah I can, right those shotgun mics you're like 124 quid I've got it I just 
Seems like a lot of money for a thing that you just point at the thing. I know, I know what you mean, but but then you can point it. Like you this, can point. That is true. Like this, this zoom, you can kind of point it. You've got three settings, so you can have it close. Yeah. So you can have it like a good close mic, and it's. I say a good close mic. It's 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 not a close the best. Mic. Yeah, yeah, it's a close <laughs> mic. I've got it. I've got my own close mic now. If narrations are done on a different microphone from this, mm. but you can do that, and you can do quite good like recordings in the medium. But like I always record on the the widest band, so you've got like the whole room which is, I think, really nice for putting people into the moments. Mm. But it does mean there's a lot more aeroplanes. When it's in a cafe, there's a lot of issues. Like I'm not saying I like all background sound. Some of it fucks up my podcast. <laughs> but I still put it out, Yeah. right? And that's a weird attitude to have, I think, within the, the modern podcasting world. Like, people are often like, why would you... You know, that's got bad background sound. Why are you putting it out? And I'm like, well it's a recording of a person talking about their lives and who they are. Mm. And that's what I like about that recording. And I'm not keen necessarily on the people on the next table being too close, but that's the only hour I sat down with that person. Yeah. That's what I caught. It's like, the, yeah, that's no, what yeah happens. It's absolutely. And uh, you can learn to listen as well. Like an hour's a long time. You can tune people out. Mm. I know it's harder when it's audio than it is in real life, but it is possible. Um, and I guess asking listeners to do a bit of work is an unconventional approach as yeah. well. Like saying, yeah, no, it's it's hard to listen to, but, you know, Get, strap in, it. like, like see, <laughs> see if you can, like, you know. And This I mean, isn't your kind of beautifully produced NPR podcast or your, your kind of um, these sort of very dead sort of uh, interviews where it just sounds like you're kind of just talking, it, like it's two people in your ears, like. Right. It's it's it is like it's not like you're sitting at the table with us. It's like you're kind of sitting on the couch. Yeah, right, right, like right, right, right. Exactly. Overhearing yeah. some people at a party is, is what somebody once said it was like. And I, I liked that. It's fascinating actually. Like I've been working on this sort of passion project, the Canaan Fields thing, which right. I I will mention. No, you should. And I'm actually just I'm, forever. You know, I'm it, <laughs> I, I recorded a part for you uh, for <laughs> that. So that's I mean, you know, it's in everyone's interest for you to keep we'll, plugging it. Don't we'll, worry. So me and Jude, the guy uh, who. I've been doing the sound design with. I, I wrote the th- uh, the podcast with uh, my friend Jack Fitzpatrick, who's just an amazing historian. He's a folklorist, basically. So he read all the Hellboy comics and he saw the folklorist, the, which was the... There was like a female folklorist in it who was the equivalent of Indiana Jones, but a folklorist in a Hellboy comic where there's, you know, a giant man with a big red fist. It's so cool. And he was like, that's the profession I want. So he's just got (laughs) just this sort of amazing grasp of just sort of folklore and Jungian sort of archetypes and all these sorts of things. And he's like, we should do a podcast about paranormal investigators. So we wrote it together. But when I got Jude on board, Jude was the guy that I, when I was doing my master's and when I was doing sort of radio production at Bournemouth, he was the guy I really spoke to about sort of audio drama and the guy I sort of confused about it with. To the point where... Uh, we once got to interview Dirk Maggs, who's the guy who did, uh, I think, Tertiary Phase, Quandary Phase, yeah, the Hitchhikers, and now the Sextuple Phase? The sixth one. There's a sixth yeah, one. yeah, yeah, yeah. Which sounds so good. I'm very excited about that. Because he, he actually told us when we were interviewing him that like when he and Douglas Adams kind of got together to do the third, the fourth, and the fifth, Douglas Adams wanted to kind of go in a completely different direction, and so he and Dirk sort of worked out this idea. And then at that point they went, oh, actually, well, then... Douglas died, right. and so it's like, well, we can't, 
we can't make a brand new thing. That's going to be just like trampling all over his legacy. We need to sort of start from scratch and try again and stuff. So I'm really interested to hear what this sort of sixth season sounds like. But the people doing that interview was Jude was doing the talking and I was on the, the dials, basically. So we kind of just learned this whole sort of radio production style. And the thing that Dirk Maggs was sort of telling us about audio production is that he tried to make it sound as filmic as possible, as movie-like as possible. Right. To the point where when he was first... He did the Superman serials for the BBC and he did it by... uh, He had this sort of epiphany, which is he went to go see Terminator 2 and he closed his eyes through the whole movie and just listened to how the kind of sound sort of got you, basically. And so we... Love this idea of of sort of filmic uh, audio, and and that's very dynamic. And how do you make it like that? But the problem is, we don't have a studio, and we do not have the sort of resources to do like a big budget. We don't have like anything that you would see right. a big filmic set. So what do we do? We copy Clerks, like the Kevin Smith yeah. one. So so all the there are indie films to be filmic. Exactly, yeah. And this is all getting back to the point of this microphone here, which is that we realised that the best way to kind of make it sound authentic and the best thing to do would be to record it like it's sort of a handheld camera. Right. So most of the dialogue is a guy with an XY microphone sort of moving around the room trying to follow the action and stuff. You know, there's bits we mic up and all to get sort of better detail on it, but but at its core, we're trying to do the same thing that you're doing with getting better acquainted, which is that sort of just lived-in atmosphere. Right. It's not always going to be the most easy to listen to. Sometimes you're going to have to kind of listen closer. And I think there was actually that was another really wonderful bit of sound design in um, the Social Network, the very beginning of the Social Network. Is just two people. Oh, the the Mark Zuckerberg Facebook Aaron yeah, yeah. Sorkin film. Yeah, yeah, I know. Two people doing a great big bit of Aaron Sorkin dialogue at the very beginning of the film, but what they do is they the dialogue is said quite quietly and the music around it is louder than the people talking. Yeah. So you have to immediately sort of lean in and go, What am you know, what am I listening to? And it just hooks you immediately. And so I really wanted to try and capture that in the sort of way that we were recording it. But yeah, that's why the audio is so exciting, especially for audio dramas. And that's why I like the lived-in sound of, of, a, of a mic like this, which is absolutely, unequivocally, <laughs> the getting better acquainted mic. It is. It is. I mean, uh, yeah, I'm always accidentally on brand. I mean, I, I never... <laughs> I never, I never really managed to record without my 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 headphone lead being tangled as well. I mean, it it it, it you know, I guess I'm like the water mess of uh, of the podcasting world. But it's interesting what you're saying about like being influenced by film in mm. in how you're thinking about uh, in audio. I mean, because. Yeah, I mean, I'm. I guess I'm. I'm influenced by film quite a lot in my audio thinking. I mean, I I did film studies at school. I've I've always been interested in film and TV. These days, TV more than film because, I mean, TV has become a completely different thing than it was when I was growing up. Certainly, but like, yeah, like with the Family Tree, which is the podcast drama that I do, we're trying in a similar way to kind of. Well, I guess mm. we're, we're even, we're, you know, we're, we're referencing getting better acquainted because we're super meta uh, <laughs> and I'm playing myself. But it, it is like an, an indie film kind of sound or also like that when you watch Netflix mm. TV now, that basically is podcasting. It can be any length. Yeah. Different episodes of different mm. lengths, right? Like it's, it's not determined anymore by, by, you know, it's all about streaming. Yeah, uh, or and in you know in podcasts it's all about downloading, but it's the same same principle that art suddenly can be whatever shape the people making it want it to be, which is super exciting. And I think 
yeah, like I'm glad that there's other people in podcasting who are kind of still comfortable with the DIY roots of the actual medium. Yeah. They're like most people started with no audio knowledge and have self-taught themselves but there's now we're hitting was it like the fourth podcast revolution or the oh i I think we're somewhere now (laughs) now now you know now everyone's claiming podcasts are suddenly a new thing again um it's because um the businesses have figured them out right but there's money but but, but because there's money there there's a danger that it becomes more and more slick super Mm. produced and I love that stuff. Just mm. like I love Thor Ragnarok, right? Yeah. But I I'm not going to make Thor Ragnarok. Yeah. But, I, but I love it. But I wouldn't want. I wouldn't say like Thor Ragnarok means we can't have an independent movie shot on a handheld. It, you know. And in I fact, the, the director of Thor Ragnarok has done both, right? And well, that, that's, that's what I'd like to see. <laughs> yeah. You wouldn't have a Thor Ragnarok if you didn't have a What We Do in the Shadows. Indeed, right? Yeah. Exactly. And, and and that and that's right. And 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 so I'm I'm not someone like if if I got a project that was an audio project. Project, which was going to be, you know, would would benefit from being really super produced. I would absolutely do that. Um, but it's about finding what fits your content as well, and what and and, and I don't know. It's an interesting thing as well. Like listeners mm. have been trained to only listen to certain kinds of sound since things got well produced, right? Yeah. So like now we listen to music, and when we listen back to like punk recordings or like stuff like lead belly back you know back in the day people are like oh that's all scratchy i can't listen to it but people back then could listen to it fine right and it's the same with like radio dramas we've people have learned to hear radio 4 and that's what they expect often when they come to podcasts and i mm. want listeners to, to 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 question that to go hang on maybe it's going to sound different and i can just like acclimatise and listen to this new sound and see see what that might give me because we've, we've got Radio 4 we don't have to reproduce Radio 4 like mm. I really hope we don't I'm, yeah, no, I'm Radio 4 I'm, <laughs> not, I'm not done with Radio 4 by any means but like there, it's, it's kind of I'm trying to think what it's like it's just sort of like Eating plastic. <laughs> it's it's like eating an apple that's that's supposed to be for display purposes only, like a polystyrene apple. Sometimes, like it's it's you know it looks beautiful and it sounds beautiful, but you kind of get into the the meat of it. Sometimes you're like, there's there, it, there's nothing there but packing peanuts. Right, right. I I I think I was, I had a I had a point. No, I mean, I, I think that's I think that's a that's a good analogy. I mean, and it's not like there are there are some mm. you know occasionally there'll be a, a fruit of substance. Yeah, absolutely. Like, but but you're right. Like often it's like one of those kind of plastic waxy apples. Um, I mean, you know, and there are some there are some brilliant things that go out on Radio Four. I've gone out on Radio Four. Obviously, mm. I'm in favour of me. Um, <laughs> but 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 I mean, it's uh, what I want is a diversity of. Uh, of, of everything really mm. like diversity on every level so I want like like variety of yeah. sonic approaches from people making audio um, I want like a variety of different approaches from audiences and I want like stories you know everything that diversity means I want and 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 Often these days, diversity has become such a, a buzzword for, for good reasons that mm. we only really think of like the representation of, of a diverse range of people. But actually, I want a diverse range of ideas as well. Like, think, yeah. you know, because otherwise you just get a diverse range of people doing what, the same, the same the, thing. What, yeah, what the hegemonic culture was already doing. 
Oh, that's, that's what um, I remember when I was, you know, when I was doing my my masters in 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 production. Like the the things I used to love listening to were these sort of weird tapes that were coming out of America, or these just weird tapes that like, right. like the two <laughs> people who just uh, like influenced me because you know you you go you grow up on a diet of Radio One and Radio Four and all this sort of stuff, and you kind of get used to that very polished BBC presenting style. But then you listen to, like, um, Studs Terkel, who's, like, the American guy who just had the first handheld recorder and just went around and talked to people. Right. And it's so rough and ready, and the conversations are just sort of weird and, like, angular. And, like, you know, are you enjoying your day in today? Yeah, it's fine. Like, you know, what? It, like, it, just these weird, honest interactions. And then, like, on top of that, you get people like Charles Parker, not Charlie Parker, Charles Parker, who did the radio ballads with... Uh, Oh, Ewan McColl and Peggy Seeger. Oh, wow. Oh, oh, let me tell you about Radio Ballads. Radio Ballads are... So this guy, Charles Parker, got hold of two folk musicians. Ewan McColl was wanting to... It was already Ewan McColl. And I mean, was I just love him. Embedded in <laughs> the, just the grit of British communities. Right. And he was like, you know, we should make a, a, a radio thing with Charles. And the thing they made was this thing called uh, the, the Ballad of John Axton who was a guy who worked on the railway lines and there was a sort of accident. The The train started to run away. It was going to injure a whole bunch of people. And so he got on and changed the signal and did all that, but in the process died. Right. And so this, it's a 15-minute piece and it's, uh, it's basically they were trying to figure out how to kind of tell this story. So Charles Parker kind of went around and with Ewan McColl and they were just sort of interviewing people around this guy. And what they found is that just everyone who was chatting was, was you know, they were railway workers. And these weren't people that you'd heard on Radio 4 before or on the home service before. So, yeah. you know, they, 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 there's a line which is like, railways run through your spine like Blackpool runs through rock. Like, wow. the, you get these phrases of just sort of ordinary people who are just, and I say ordinary people, it's so terrible. Yeah. Well, I know. It's so terrible. But, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but but it's, it's these voices you haven't heard. And then uh, what they did is they got all these tapes... And then Ewan McColl wrote songs kind of leading you through the process and using the words and using the narrative that, that had sort of been pulled out of this thing. And so you get, you know, John Axton was a rail maiden man. You get this wonderful bit of English folk music and then it would go into an interview of someone sort of talking about John Axton and then oh, wow. back and forth. I've got to check this out. This oh, it's wonderful. Really my street. And that's, that's <laughs> just the first one. They then like did the process for kind of Romany people. They did it for people who were boxing. They did it for there's a wonderful one where about um people who fish like wow, fishermen. This sounds amazing. And I, all mean, the... I, I love you, McCool. I mean, I, yeah, my favorite, like my my like I think it would be on my Desert Island Discs probably like Manchester Rambler by you and McCool. Yeah, it, like which is a great a great song about kind of how nobody owns anything. Like it's like an anarchist anthem. So it, it floats my kind of boat because I'm. Uh, quietly, relatively quietly, I'm an anarchist, I guess. Um, <laughs> a, pr- a pragmatic anarchist. Prag- uh, pragmatism. Yeah, yeah. Pragm- a pragmatic. Uh, someone called me. Yeah, someone think a friend of mine thinks a pragmatic would be a, a pragmatic. But I'm not. I'm not keen on that. That just sounds a bit ridiculous. So yeah, that was but, exactly the word I was reaching well, for. It's, like it's, I was it's looking good. for the portmanteau. No, it's a good. It's a good portmanteau. I, I recognise it's a good portmanteau, but a pragmatic. Pragmatic. pragmatic it doesn't work. It doesn't roll off the saying tongue. Saying pragmatic. Neither of them roll off the tongue, no. but a pragmatic anarchist kind of uh, tells people a little bit more about yes. what I'm actually saying. I mean, I don't like labels because I'm an anarchist, right? <laughs> um, but but as far as those mm. things go, I you know I have 
you sometimes have to sort of like lay your cards on the table and I guess that's a good uh, yeah. but but I mean I prefer not to call myself an anarchist and just say like my political ideology is the Manchester Rambler by Ewan McCall yeah. right or like the dispossessed by Ursula Le Guin that'd be that'd be that'd be more in line but it wouldn't tell anybody anything unless they've they've read those or listened to those texts I think I think my favourite Ewan McCall song is Dirty Old Town which I originally right, heard through right, the that's a great song too and then I found out Ewan McCall wrote it because he did one of his his kind of operas his uh you know uh people's opera right is what he used to do and he had a big long scene change and he needed a song but he just you know the the dirty old town is just this love it's just an ode to living somewhere terrible yeah and i love it so much like it you know this place is a dirty old town but like it's my dirty right, old right, town right. and that's where i did that thing and that's where i did that thing and living in the kind of deepest darkest bedfordshire as a right. as a kind of left wing guy in deepest darkest Bedfordshire, it's very you know it's a thing you kind of grow to love. Like I love Stevenage now, even though I hate it <laughs> with every fiber of my being. Like like you know, yeah. But, right. but but yeah, no. To get back to it, like like it was listening to these people. Like it was it was the first time I sort of thought of radios as a, a sort of auteur medium or like audio as an auteur medium because right. you know, film people have all the fun. They have right. all the fun and all the money and most of the drugs. You I see, they, they, they have all of they have they have more money and all of that stuff. But the, the difference is that radio people can do anything mm. because you don't have to have the budget. We can set the seven hundred mountain of anywhere we like. Yeah, with a cherry on top. Right, exactly. And so there, <laughs> there is that, which is a great freedom, particularly to I think like so that's how I felt, and I think you'll probably feel this with Canaan Fields, but that's how mm. I feel with the Family Tree in that it's 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 you know it goes to some magical and strange places, mm. um, which I could not do if it wasn't an audio thing. But because it's audio, we can tell a story that we could never tell if we picked up, you know, some cameras and tried to make a YouTube series. Like, it it, it allows us to kind of, like, be at a level in terms of the the places we can go that you often in a lot of mediums have to work really hard to get to the point where you've got the budget to be at that level. I mean, it's it's weird that you mention that because, like, I, like, we both have you know, sort of supernatural podcasts, right. like, you know, uh, magical thinking podcasts. And I don't think I'd have ever thought of something like that had it not been for, like, Welcome to Night Vale. Right. right and I, right. and Welcome to Night Vale, because I was like, you know, it came out, or it was sort of, it started becoming popular in, like, 2012, 2013, and that was right when I was at uni. And me and my friends were listening to this podcast like it was, you know, Nirvana's demo tapes. I imagine. It was so, it was just like... It was just full of this weird nonsense, and we were just it was like, "Oh my god, this is great! This is unsettling and amazing, and and just wonderful use of the medium of just sort of you know, don't go into the dog park, right, right, right. The dogs are not allowed in the dog park. You go, what the <laughs> fuck is this town? Right. I mean, I think Night Vale is almost like a, for your generation because I, like mm. I, I, when it when it came out I was impressed by it but I, I wasn't kind of like at the age that you were yeah. where it would be have blown me away but it's kind of like your your generation's kind of Monty Python or something like, yeah. like it, it's like everybody can quote it like from like who, who's, who's a fan of it mm. and it's like it's got its own language it's got its own world really yeah um, and, and and I you know I, I, I do love Night Vale a lot and I think it's it, 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 it's one of the first kind of demonstrations really of of what podcasts could be apart from just you know a, a guy talking to a guy 
<laughs> like that was yeah. what it was for a long time or like four guys talking for like eight, end, endlessly and then suddenly you've got like an actual drama like I was like for, for, for years I was like where are the dramas like, yeah the first thing I did in podcasting was a was a radio drama yeah um that was nominated for a Sony award um but but you know, I was nominated for that award before. I, I didn't even know what podcasts were. Like, I'd written, <laughs> I'd written a podcast. I didn't really know what podcasts were. But, like, because of that, like, I found out about other podcasts. I listened to other podcasts. Mm. And there was no yeah. dramas out there. Now it's, I guess, if there is a podcast boom now, one of the parts of that pod- is podcast boom drama, is, yeah. yeah. For the first time, that's been, it's, 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 it's not only one of the things on the menu, it's almost one of the things that people with money are really kind of trying to push. You know, yeah. there are famous people making famous drama podcasts. But, but I mean, it's, it's great to be in that moment. And it's great that there's so many people trying to do that. Mm. It's a big thing to make audio drama. It's though, right? a huge thing to make audio drama. We sh- we should talk about making audio dramas because that's that's where it's all coming to. I think the thing about Night Vale is they they got the workload right because it's two guys doing the writing, one guy doing the voices, and one guy just sort of doing the music and stuff. Right. That is the cheapest you could possibly make an audio drama. Yeah. And it sounds like Night Vale basically. Right. right. But when, but but like you, when you when you really want to get into it, like like that's the criticism I often see of Night Vale is like you know, there's more to radio drama than guy than like a guy talking. Like right. we can do so. But they much were more working with their limitations. They were working within their limitations, which is, which is, is the DIY scene, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and and that's what's fun is seeing how far you can push the DIY scene, or at least that's what I'm having fun. I say fun, quite broke. Yeah. Because of it, but like yeah. I'm having fun. I mean, it eats your life and your time and your money and, and just your, anything else, your mind. But it's so rewarding as well mm. uh, when it does go right and when you get those amazing like moments. Uh, it does make it worth it. But it's not a it's it's not a small commitment. It's like mm. I mean, having worked in in podcast for years before do, before finally deciding to make an audio drama, mm. um, I was already aware that, you know, just your normal, this is this, where I just sit yeah. with someone and talk to them, eats my life. Yeah. So I was aware that that was a possibility. But once we started making The Family Tree, it suddenly became clear that there's, you know, there's always further, you, there's always more of your life that can be eaten. Yeah, uh, absolutely. <laughs> it's, it's a double-edged sword, right? Mm. Anyone can make a podcast. But the problem with that is anyone can make a podcast. Yeah, and it, and that's a problem in terms of, I guess, quality. But it's also a, it's a problem in terms of, like, anyone can make a podcast, but it is going to take over your life. It's not going to be stress-free. It's not mm. like a thing you can do as like a, oh, I'd like to make a podcast. Uh, oh, I'll just toss out a podcast once a week. It's, it's like a lot. Like yeah. people, hear that, people think of podcasts now and maybe every, every every time there's a boom people start to think of podcasts of like you know there's there's lots of jokes out there of like people saying like you know middle class greeting is like you should be on my podcast right? <laughs> um and, and like that's funny but it, it kind of undervalues how much work goes into making a podcast there's mm. loads of people who say they're going to make podcasts it's who actually makes them yeah if that's the proof it's like there's there's loads of people who say they're writers who say they're musicians but like many of those will not make any any songs or any uh novels or whatever. I think, like it, it's, yeah there's another thing 
as well as the desire. There has to be the the work, I guess. Work. I've had like two or three podcasts which I've just straight up abandoned. That's fine though. I'd like there was one. I, there was I got a note from Libsyn this week, which was like, "Hey, you, you never renewed your card details for this one, and it's <laughs> gone now." And I'm like, "I mean, it lived a life. It's fine. No one else is listening to it now." <laughs> Uh, yeah. Which was the doodle, uh, which was one of the things I made just at uni because I was just looking to make sound. I just needed to make sound. I had this period uh, out of uni where I where I I was kind of I had all these um, these skills and I was like I've got like like because I did radio productions like a vocational course right 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 and and I come out and it's like oh wait there's the recession and then there's just you know the the sort of devaluation of creative labor i came out and i had these skills and i didn't know what to do with them and i was just sort of like angry about it and i just ended up for like a good year and a bit i i started making this thing with a mate of mine who was a hungarian video editor called uh, a poem and a mistake he wasn't called a poem and a mistake his name was david uh the, show, the, was the show was a poem and a mistake and it would just be these like 30 second sort of screw I had a mate describe it to me as someone kicks down your door, screams at you for 20 seconds, and then just leaves again. <laughs> uh, and that was the sort of attitude we had. And what we were doing was like film reviews, but we were doing film reviews where it was just mostly based in like noise and free jazz. Wow. So we were just, you know, uh, Superman is a false idol, an opiate for the masses, a white guy with an eighth Navajo blood, lawful good, but abandons his culture for a new fad. The symbol means hope. Go fuck yourself. Like, it was just these sort of angry rants with, like, you know, music that didn't make sense. And that was just sort of... But at the time, I think that was the only thing that I could kind of make right. audio-wise. Is just I needed to just sort of scream at the world for a right. bit. And now that I've done that, I can kind of make an interesting drama about uh, <laughs> Jungian investigators. Like, right. that's the... But that's part of it. I think that's part of the process. Like, I, I do worry that quite often the speed that things can get seen sometimes or the kind of encouragement for people to try and aim for professional standards straight away. Mm. Like, all of those kind of things means that People don't do those experimental weird things that we're quite glad don't see the light of day <laughs> afterwards. You know, like I've I've also made podcasts that I've abandoned. Like it seems weird to say that because I've been you know committed to getting better acquainted since two thousand and eleven. So I I I you know I, I'm kind of known sometimes by some people as being like somebody called me the grandfather of podcasting, which <laughs> I am not old enough to be called that about. But anyway, but like the. The longevity thing of this show, it doesn't mean that I haven't done loads of like terrible or like mm. experimental um, projects beforehand that didn't kind of last, and I'm glad. Um, but I'm also glad that I made those weird things that didn't work. That yeah. I learned all that stuff from I, doing that stuff. I do love failing in in making audio. Failing to make audio is is such is such a wonderful experience. I think. Every everything I've done where I've just sort of made it and then I've listened to it and I've gone, oh god, oh that's terrible. What am I doing? No, just ah, get it, get it gone. It's just like one of, it's just such a cathartic experience because right. you're like, good, I made it. Why did I make it? Don't know, but now I know how to make that, right. and now I can use that skill more usefully somewhere else. Right. I when think. I was like, when I first started editing like music and stuff, I did like some absolutely terrible music. But I spent so long with 
the audio files making that terrible music that I definitely learned loads of things. Like I remember like looking back at that terrible music and going, that was a waste of time. But like now I look back at it going, no, no, it was, actually it was really important. I was literally learning how sound works. Yeah. And like, you can't mm. do that without, I mean, it's like when you're learning, if you're learning to draw, like, you know, scribbling and things like that are important parts of the process. Yes. Like learning how to use a, a pencil in a rough way and a delicate way. Mm. You need both of those kinds of skills. I have a question for you, which is how comfortable are you about throwing away audio, like deleting stuff you've made? What do you mean? Because like I have this, like I I can't do it. Like I, I know, have I do know what you mean. every single thing <laughs> I have made since I was 17 year old somewhere on a hard drive. Right. And like a kind of digital hoarder. Yeah. I don't have the space for it. I've used up a terabyte of memory just with like, you know logic files and audition files and all these sorts of things and i know in my heart of hearts that like it's all trash like not all of it but like most of it is trash. you never know though I, you, you know, never know though i am That's quite the... i am quite keen on keeping weird bits of audio that cut that and that's proved useful Mm. Like there's like tapes of my of my that my dad made of me and my brother when we were kids, which I've recently used in projects. Um, the tapes are unlistenable to in their original format. Like literally, you you would you know it would drive you mad. I've I've listened to them in their original format. It drives you mad. But there were little bits that have been good that mm. I could capture from even from those, and those are like you know thirty years old. Those those pieces of audio, and so that's kind of renewed my commitment to keeping the stuff I don't like now that I don't, yeah. don't quite get right now. And I, I definitely, I like to have all of those weird failures mm. there for me Documented. to listen back to. <laughs> I don't want them public anymore. That's the difference. I used to be like, I want a, a complete trail of my yes. artistic development. And I, I used to be proud of the idea of of showing how somebody develops. And, and but now I... I, I I can't stand so many. It's it, it's very rarely the form. It's mostly the content. Whereas yeah. I'm like, I don't agree with my, like I don't even agree with 2011 version of me on this show. It's like, a problem. It's, there was this. There was this amazing. I was I was thinking about that actually because like there's stuff from 2011 that I wouldn't want to see the light of day. And right. actually, there was a there was a weird and very real watershed around that time, uh, which was when we we suddenly decided. I don't say suddenly, it was, you know, it's a long process, but it started to become less socially acceptable to to be a, a cunt, basically. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, there was, this, there was this whole culture of, like, you know, family guy and, uh, you know, I, you know, yeah, I think yeah. about the stuff that I was watching in, like, 2008, yeah. 2010, those sorts of things, uh, and the stuff I enjoyed and the stuff I loved, and thinking, oh, there is no way that I would yeah, watch that yeah, now. yeah. Like the threshold of of what is good, yeah, is it's changed. It's really changed, and that, yeah. that's. I think I, I I also think that's a good thing, and that is also like when I when I refer to the kind of content of my yeah. uni- university comedy, like that. You know, it was we were like an audio version of South Park, but turned up even further <laughs> than South Park. Just so that gives you an idea of why I don't want that stuff to see the light of day. And also like there was like there's something about like four middle class white 
yeah. boys mm-hmm. at university, which doesn't encourage critical thinking. <laughs> um, even though I think we were trying to take aim at the right things, yeah, we didn't do it right. Yeah, like we didn't aim. Our aim was off. We hit loads of collateral damage, and I <laughs> am very pleased for that not to be around. The second question I ask everybody, which I think will fit quite well within mm. this general conversation, anyway, is what do you do now? What do I do now? So what I what I do now is is mostly think about Damon Albarn and the Gorillas. <laughs> That's what I've been doing a lot right. recently because because I had this I went I went to go see him in a I went with my mate to go see the Gorillas in like the Big O Two Arena, and there was just something about the whole experience which which just felt so amazingly postmodern and weird and bizarre because the O Two looks like a spaceship, right? It is it is just this huge structure. Uh, that just looks like it comes straight out of like a 1970s sci-fi film about a, a metropolis and you kind of go into that and then you go through like airport style security and you're doing all this so that you can go watch a, a virtual band uh, so there was just the this idea this huge mega monolithic structure the the Des- the the sort of dystopian like level of security that right, I was having to go right, through right, in order right. to get in, and then I was doing it all so I could watch a band that didn't exist technically in yeah. the real world, yeah. and and so I just I just loved just I well I'd never felt quite as alienated, and and never felt quite as happy about being quite as alienated as I was like because you know because I was in one seat and there were 50 other thousand people who had also come to see the fake virtual band that doesn't exist that in itself is such a postmodern statement yeah I, I, you know, I've never enjoyed being alienated as much as I <laughs> there, was, there was another thing I've been thinking about which was uh, 99% Invisible just ran a, a like 45 minute documentary on radio advertising and it had a song in it which has just been going around my head because the guy who was doing the thing said I listened to this advert and I had to stop the car because I just heard Dr. Pepper sell me a bottled cure for alienation. And I was like, that is exactly the attitude of a radio producer. It's so detached and, and sort of separate from the world that like capturing authenticity is, is like a pastime and a lifestyle. Right. And, and the thing I loved, and, and to get back to the gorillas, the thing I love is the, the sort of realization that Damon Albarn is a crazy man in a room trying to make audio. Because because talking about that sort of audio trail, you can absolutely see it. Because for every Gorillaz album, there's usually like a Damon Albarn side project where you go, I have no idea what you're on about, Damon Albarn. And then he makes another Gorillaz album and go, oh, no, yeah, okay, right. Those ideas that you were fiddling around with, that makes sense now. So what I've been thinking about is Alienation, Audio on Your Own, and Canaan Fields, obviously. Because that's the thing that my brain is right. doing. And none of like <laughs> none of that pays the bills, I guess. None of it pays the bills. So when I'm not doing that, I'm a duty house manager at the University of Hertfordshire, which is very weird because on their big notice boards, I saw uh, <laughs> I saw your show. Yeah, right. Yeah. I was going to say I did a show. Yeah, no, I was like, oh look, it's, this year, yeah. it's Dave from the podcast thing. <laughs> oh, he's doing his thing. Cool. I'm going to keep doing my job now. <laughs> and and like I just I just did like 2 months at HMV which was a fascinating look into how normal people live. Right. I have a mate who I sit on a bench with after work which is my mate Anthony and and we just sort of sit there and talk about the world and I and I'll kind of say oh you know it's fascinating kind of doing this thing you go you're becoming too normal you've got like a, a lifestyle and a you a bedtime and stuff what <laughs> what, what happened to you man you used to be cool. Which is a anxiety I often have, but yeah. So when I'm, you know, when I'm not trying to pay the bills, 
I'm just trying to make as much audio as I possibly can. And right. and Canaan Fields has been super weird. I, I it's a it's been a well it's been a project I've been working on for eighteen months and now like there's an episode out and three hundred people be like yes that's good right and I'm worried that's the sum total of the audience as I'm always worried with these projects. Well, I mean, you've got to bring out the next <laughs> you episode, keep doing right? It. The, the, I mean, yeah. you, you know, one episode is is definitely one episode is, anyone is... who gives up after one episode. You know, that's a choice you can do that, yeah. but you're you're not being fair to your own project, and particularly that no, you've already. You I've, know, done, I've got three hundred is quite we've good for six... a first episode. <laughs> I think there was there was a there was a point with um with this permanent mistake thing that I I did where where we got fifty subscribers and I was like, great, we found the whole audience. We found any anybody who would be remotely right, interested right, right. in this. Thing. We we got them. So yeah. like, I'm I'm excited to do five more episodes to see if we can we can up that number by twenty five percent. Yeah, I, mean, I think you can. <laughs> I mean, and also you know the, the the good thing or the interesting thing about uh, doing a podcast drama is it's not just you that's in it. So there's yeah. a lot of other people helping promote so, it or sort of signposting it. Although. People aren't always that eager to signpost things they've been in. Yeah. I find that with getting better acquainted, let alone That's with why I have drama. A Twitter for it, so I can right. hide behind a, a mask. To right, die. right. <laughs> so what you 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 were on the show? Yeah, you've you've recorded an episode. What was that experience like for you? Because I, you know, I that week for me. Because we did, we did you the did we lot, recorded the whole thing that week, in you? a week. We recorded six episodes in a week. We tried to keep the episodes as like together as possible yeah. and i think you've got one of the good days where we kept the whole episode together but one of the reasons episode two has taken so long is because we got stuff on thursday we got stuff on friday yeah. we've had to dub in stuff that we've kind of done and like uh we even have ones from before we actually cast it we we found someone who'd be playing this woman victoria who's wonderful the character's evil but the woman playing her is wonderful uh, and and so what I'm having to do is put together like this audio drama from like seven different sources, right? And then I'm going to have to make it sound like it's all in the same room, which is fine because that's the bit of audio design I'm very good at. But like that's that <laughs> it's not easy by any means no. trying to make it sound like no manufacturing authenticity, which is the aim of the game in radio, is very weird. Well, you've got the thing is that you you know what you're talking about is a really ambitious thing. Like, you know, with the with the family tree, we've like one of the reasons we record it, you know, similarly to this is 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 to limit that, like to limit the amount of although that's that said, there's still been lots of episodes where a lot of editing has happened or a lot of kind of complexities have happened. Our main stress in this season has been we're releasing it. In the world of the show, it's coming out as it happens. So it's happening happening in real time. Um, But obviously that's a that's a fiction and mm. there are like episodes you want to come out at certain times yeah. and we put out an episode on Saturday and we only managed to record that in December last year yeah. like and for everything else you've had the audio for a lot longer so it was like uh, are we going to get, get it got to get it cance- like, we kept having kind of cancellations and like yeah. then you're like oh no is it actually going to happen in time so that's most of the stress we've had we've not had any of the stuff of like how do we patch this all together mm. it's been like have we got it when have we, we got it? it yeah have we got it when we need it in terms of experience of being on on Kane and, and Fields I found it great like it was it was fun um you were all very friendly uh, it was pretty quick like it was, it was in and out 
no nonsense. I mean, I don't know if I did a particularly good performance. I thought it was wonderful. Well, that's good that you think that. <laughs> I mean, so like, it was for me, it was a weird thing because I haven't done any acting for a long time. I've only acted as myself, which has been acting. So it's not mm. it's not exactly fair. Like I, I I do have I do show lots of emotions as me on the family tree, but yeah. it's still it's me. So I I guess I felt like I, I was putting a lot of pressure on myself of like I've, okay I've got to I've got to be good. Oh no, was I good? And obviously, I'm not the best judge of that anyway. Yeah, I, don't, no, yeah. I don't. I don't listen to uh, performers when they tell me, "Oh, I, I don't think I was very good." I listen to the the audio and see if it was good, and it's normally good, good if they say it was. So, bad. so we were both anxious. That's <laughs> right, good. That's right, right. Good. <laughs> I'm sure everybody was anxious because you had taken some time off. You know, you didn't have very much leeway for it to go yeah. wrong, right? Like we we didn't, and when it did, <laughs> it was fantastic. I think there was one person who just never turned up. Uh, and we got a message for them like two days later. There was someone who got like desperately ill on the last day, and we were like, "Oh God, we're going to have to find a replacement to do that." And right. I mean, this is my the biggest anxiety as a a creator of content is I've had this horrifying moment where I realised my my best skill is management. That's a good skill. It was the the death of my artistic endeavour was realising. No. Oh no, I'm I'm good at like managing. People. Some of the best artists <laughs> have been great managers. Like you know, there are lots of great like direct. Or, you know, the best film directors are going to be great managers. I wonder. Mm. Like that's a good quality to have. The, I it's think not, <laughs> it's not anti artistic. Yeah. The the idea that it's anti artistic, which I I know where it. I I also feel that way. Mm. But that idea. It's kind of like, I think, I don't know, it's kind of inserted in people to kind of, I don't know, it feels it feels false. It yeah. feels like there are lots of things that we're taught about what it is to be a, a good and real and authentic yes. artist and person even. Uh, that I just think we should like shrug off. Like, if you're good at managing and it makes good work, mm. that's a good quality. It is, it, yeah, and it's the one I the one I often sell. It's the quality I sell of right, myself, right, right, right. <laughs> mostly. I'm like, I can put it together. I, it's interesting hearing that you kind of thought it was quick in and out and stuff, because, again, I was in it for a week, and actually one of the things that was, well, not funny, but, uh, you know, real, was if the facade made it look like we had it all under control, then that just means that we were very, very good at hiding all the panicking we right. were doing backstage, basically. Yeah, I mean, that's most of the job when yeah. you're a director. Like, yeah. <laughs> and, and, <laughs> and and kind of, one. I think the person who, who kind of got the, the shortest end of the stick was uh, Jack Fitzpatrick, who plays Kane and also who writes it. Because me and Jude have, have like, you know, hundreds of conversations we can talk about. I'm there sort of doing all the scheduling that I possibly can. And in my head, I go, right, so who's the production team? It's me, Jude, and Jack. And Jack was like, uh... And we realised by about the third or fourth day that, that actually... Jack's a writer and, a, and an actor. Myself and Jude took on so many of the responsibilities of, like, putting it all together and, like, you know, doing all this sort of stuff because it was just sort of managing stuff that needed to be done that we were, like... We assumed that, like, Jack would just always just be there in the background. He's like, no, I got a life and job and stuff, like... Is this it? Is this my whole day? Am I going to be sitting here while we record four other things? And I was like, oh, shit. Okay. And then so, you know, so it was, right. I think that was the, the sort of, the most difficult time management stuff. I mean, that's I the shitty thing sometimes about acting anyway, is that you have to like wait around for hours and yeah. hours and hours to do very small bits, but you have to wait because it's required for the way that it's going to be recorded for you to mm. wait. Well, also, I guess 
you know you're not paying your performance so everyone's doing it on favors which means that it's a more yeah. friendly thing like it's a friendly thing on, on like it's nice for you to have gone oh shit we actually don't need him we'll, we'll let him have the time off you know like that doesn't always happen in in, in you know when you're paying someone you you pay them to wait right well it's like, one it's, of the things you're paying them for it's terrible as well because we 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 kind of said all right you got time off but then you know he he had three days of work to do so he ended up doing like a 14 day week jesus which we all, I think we all, I think, yeah, we were, we were all just toast by the end. Right. I think we got to the end of the week and then we had like a scheduling conflict and the thought was, let's just not do anything for four days. <laughs> let's just absolutely just crash out of this for right, a while. Right. Well, it's, I mean, that's it. It, it. it takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of work. It takes mm. a lot of thought. And there's like so many factors that you can't predict before they start. And like everybody that you're working with, because they're volunteers, they're going to have their own requirements on you. They're going to be like, last minute, no, I can't come or whatever. Mm. Yeah, it can be a really exhausting yeah. emotional process, like making fun things. Making fun things is so hard. Right, because your show is like quite a fun, fun comedy. Like I, Hitchhikers is quite a good reference point or or uh, basically everything we've said today mm. are good reference points, right? Yeah. Nightmare too. So it's a fun product but the process of making it is, is not so fun yeah sometimes. yeah i think that was that was the i think you you got an episode that that jack wrote and jack was amazing at just writing these episodes which you could record in an afternoon like the you know they'd have four characters whole thing done well yeah we were out in a park we were out in a park we wandering around and I, but because I, I was like, I wanted to see how far to stretch the medium. I'm like, can we have a child in this one? We could have a child in this one, right? And everyone's like, no, you can't have a child. I'm like, yeah, we could probably. And so in the end, we end up getting a woman called uh, Lucy Lau, who's a, a voice actor who's very good at impersonating a child. But we could, but I had like, there was the point where I had like a, a letter from like a mother who was like, my child is interested in doing this. And I was like, oh, I'm going to have to like, this super talk to the local education North, authority yeah. except that doesn't exist anymore so i'm gonna to have to talk to an academy i don't know how to do child licenses anymore yeah like i knew how to do it in the there's first. pretty strict rules about it and, 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 and also you know yeah i mean that's definitely a, like you're only allowed to work a certain amount of days yeah. or whatever if you're a kid mm. but i mean at the same time you know like it's also like, but it's also the Wild West, you know, as much as you're talking about laws. Also, if you happen to have a kid in your family, you could legitimately just record them and use them in a podcast. Like there, there aren't as strict rules as well as there are strict rules. Depends how you do it. Yeah. Um, so there's options in, in ways that you can do these things. There was a few years when I was always getting like phone calls from friends of mine saying like, your great niece, would she like to read this thing out? Like there was always yeah. a few of those. Yeah. Nieces are great, nephews are great. Yeah, they're handy. handy. <laughs> they're very handy. All, all audio makers should make sure that they have children <laughs> in their family that they can use for these <laughs> difficult things that they can't. you can't uh, get other people to do. It's yeah. it's it's deeply important. <laughs> I feel like we've, we've, we've basically covered everything that I thought we would cover, but in yeah. a kind of weird, like, weird haphazard way which i like that is but i feel like i haven't been steering this narrative it's just been happening which is great well the the thing uh i i love haphazard narratives <laughs> more than anything in the entire world my friend who used to be on the the utility belt podcast with me runs an rpg session called icons it's the most insane thing in the world i have this friend who has an entire like superhero universe 
which is just for him. He has, and when I say an entire superhero universe, it has like two or three different hero teams. It's got people just operating in tandem. There's like a Vertigo section, which is just doing weird time travel stuff. There is, you know, villains of the week. There's arching, overarching premises. He's got like three different groups that he runs these sessions with. And, And one of them is, is a session that he runs with me and Jack Fitzpatrick. And we do the villain campaign. And my character is an evil broccoli lawyer. (laughs) <laughs> he is he is an alien species from another planet. He crash landed on Earth and uh, was adopted by these two loving parents, the the Sussexes, uh, and his name is Kent Sussex. He has a brother called York Sussex. Uh, he may have killed them using like you know spores that you know he got because he's a gross plant alien, and he's just like a huge broccoli in a suit with two <laughs> eyes and a smiley face like Adventure Time. And big hair, and uh, he his best skill is like winning court battles, and he is an evil uh, broccoli lawyer with like no sense of empathy or emotion, and so he's just this absolute chaos agent, and that's a character I get to play, and I'm very good at playing that character, <laughs> uh, and making it cohesive and kind of make a narrative sense in some way, shape, or form. So I'm glad that. We have got to every single topic that we were aiming for. Yeah, I mean, hopefully this episode is, <laughs> resembles an evil broccoli lawyer. Yes, that is the, its, the vibe I'm content. always going for. Yeah, I mean, it's been a real pleasure getting better acquainted with you, and I feel like, yeah, like it's been, it's, it's been, and I've got like, I feel like I've got like a, a little bit of a reading list at the end of this, like <laughs> or listening list to go back and listen to some of the the things that you were, were recommending. Studs Turkle and definitely some radio ballads. Yeah, They're wonderful. Yeah, I've read about Studs Turkle, but I've not listened to which is it's. It's a hard. It's a hard listen. It's not a hard listen, but it is. It's very, very experimental. It's really early. Uh, I was going to say just one last thing because I really wanted to do it. Uh, the metaphor of the Wild West of podcasting. Yeah, I would. I just want to flesh it out. I just want to flesh it out so much because it feels like you're a settler. You're like one of the early OG. God, I mean, guys. if we really get into like what the Wild West is, then I, like it's going to be like really hard to like f- feel comfortable with the idea of <laughs> you know like the Wild West was you know forcible colonization initially. Yeah, I mean, yes. Uh, and then yes. after that, it was you know brutal kind of semi-Darwinist kind of uh, battle for kind of power. I mean, um, yeah. but at the same time, you I could, was thinking you could more like a, the eighteen forty nine gold could, rush. Right, right. You could build anything you like and find gold. Um, the, the, like, the podcasting dream, yeah, but I mean, how it how it actually relates to 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 podcasting. I mean, I think it's probably a dead metaphor to to be to be honest. I'd love it to be fleshed out by. So I think you could make an interesting, entertaining kind of comedy or drama oh, yes. around the wild west of podcasting. That's a a great idea. But that would but have really exactly dead, four thousand listeners. Yeah, and, and, and that's that's it. And it's not <laughs> even true. I don't even know if it is the wild west anymore. Because it's definitely like, like you mm. say, we're, we're we're definitely in the eighteen hundreds. Maybe, like you know, who knows where we're we're at now? Because it's definitely it, it, people don't feel like they can just do anything they want. That is no, that is no longer the case. You know, a legal system is building up around everybody, uh, and all of those things just, that, that yeah. happen happened when when yeah when people colonized America. I was gonna. I just <laughs> think it's a bit like the Oregon Trail because you've got like you know you you have all those people who were kind of working in two thousand eight and then just like very early days and just putting audio online who were like the first people to go well what's over there and then you know you've got people like me who've heard old stories about it and and they're now trying to follow the same path and then you've got like businesses who are like ah money let's do this yeah 
I mean, I guess if I'm the grandfather of podcasting, that kind of puts me in a kind of like uh, unforgiven kind of situation, <laughs> right? Clint, Clint Eastwood, I've been doing it for ages, and now I've got to come out of retirement to do one last, uh, whatever it was, gunfight, no doubt it was. Um, yeah. Fistful of WAV files. <laughs> right, 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 right. Um yeah, the last question that I ask everybody is, do you have anything to plug? Yes, let's 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 do this. There's a poem and a mistake, which we never do anymore, but like it's there and you should all read it. it sounds good. Uh, and then Kane and Fields, Paranormal Investigators, which is a show about Lucifer Kane, a brilliant academic who burns from the inside and Brutus Fields, a sort of two-bit gumshoe who kind of knows a little bit about the paranormal. They are sort of Jungian investigators, so, you know, people come to them with a problem about their cat, and it's like, oh, well, it's a ghost, or maybe it's a demon. Like, we'll find out. We'll go along and we'll find out what it's about. And so the first episode of that is out, which is sort of the cataclysm for the whole rest of the story. You can imagine they were just gumshoes before, and now it's really going to get into it. That's what we're going to be exploring this season. Uh, the second episode hopefully will be out by the time this is out. I have no idea when this is out, but hopefully it'll be out it will on be. Wednesday. Right? Okay, it'll be so hard maybe to get it, out before that. it won't be out, <laughs> but it will be out soon. And then season episode three is the one where you turn up. And then uh, yeah, and we'll hopefully get you back for next season, definitely if we can. Cool. I mean, I'm if saying I'm available, I'll happily do yeah, it. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. yeah, this has been a real, real pleasure and yeah. dead fun. For, for me too. And the last thing I ask my guests to do is to say goodbye to the audience. Okay. Uh, shoot. <laughs> people find that a weird moment. Like, I'm having a conversation and now I've got to think about these other people. <laughs> okay. All right, guys, if you've been listening, I hope you've had fun. I hope you've enjoyed the twisty tale and it's not just been deeply uncomfortable. If you are trying to go to sleep, then you'll have definitely done that by now because the tangents are so wonderful and amazing. Uh, I'm very modest. You've been wonderful. Thank you very much. I will not see you because I don't do the podcast. Uh, Dave will be back with you very shortly with another amazing guest. Not that I was amazing, but, you know, let's... You heard it. Bye, everybody. (laughs) (laughs) Bye-bye. So if you're interested in hearing about masculinity and what patriarchy does to men and to all people, then you might be interested in my solo show, What About the Men? Mansplaining Masculinity, which you can listen to for free as a podcast. And you can also read the survey of a thousand men's opinions about patriarchy and masculinity that I put together. You can find all of that stuff over on mansplainingmasculinity.co.uk or you can look for Stand Up Tragedy on iTunes and listen to the most recent podcast which is a full version of that show. If you're interested in reading about me and my dad and our relationship and dementia and memory and time and history and politics and love and friendship and again a little bit about masculinity then check out my essay series Down to a Sunless Sea Memories of My Dad. As well as making Getting Bear Acquainted, I also co-produce and, I guess, star in the magical realist audio drama podcast, The Family Tree. In order to keep making it and to make season two as good as we want it to be, we need your help. So if you can afford to, then please do consider signing up to our Patreon appeal. 
You can follow Getting Better Acquainted on Twitter at GBA Podcast. You can like Getting Better Acquainted on Facebook. And you can find Getting Better Acquainted on iTunes, SoundCloud, those kind of places. But remember, there are lots of ways to get better acquainted.